Well, I so appreciate the music team. The worship is just amazing. Just really helps to put our hearts in the right place. And um, the words, uh, Andy, that you shared as you opened the service, so appropriate, so fitting. Uh, and David, I couldn't agree more. Your good assessment this morning. First uh, and Second Thessalonians are just such great books. Uh, it, it seems like there is a difference in churches. I don't. You see that when you read in the uh, the epistles. Uh, some of the churches, like I think the Church of Corinth, there there was constant issues that had to be taken care of, and you really couldn't move forward until you took care of those things. And I would, I think, I would agree that First Thessalonians seems to start on a higher plane, a higher level. That's that's encouraging, exciting. And it reminds me that we need to pay attention as a church, uh, that we need to be one of those growing churches uh, where there's some exciting things happening. Well, so appreciate the music this morning, such beautiful, beautiful words that we just sang. Well, as we do a little bit of review from last week, if you look in your notes, you actually have a crossword puzzle. I don't know if you've ever done a crossword puzzle in church. But we're going to ask you to do a crossword puzzle in church as a form of review. Uh, we've been looking at his teachings, just amazing words that Jesus spoke when he was here on earth, and things that we really need to pay attention to. And so our, our message really got so long, I decided ahead of time to break it up into two parts. So last week, we covered the first part of his teachings and today we'll cover the second part and conclude that. But if you take that crossword puzzle out, you're going to uh, find some words that we already covered. Now, there are three answers in here that are actually from today's message, so I'm going to give those to you as we go over this together. Uh, If you look at the crossword puzzle, uh, the first section down, number two I'm going to give you this one so you can write this one in. Hopefully you have a pen, a pen or pencil. Amazing discourses like the Sermon on the Mount and the Olivet Discourse were, and it starts with P, and the word is profound. We didn't actually cover that yet, so that's going to be in today's message. So two down is profound, eight letters. And then six down, we need to give you that one because we didn't cover that yet that Jesus was always interested in each person, and we'll talk about that today, makes his teachings, and it starts with P. Somebody, I heard it, personal, personal, so I'm giving you that one. And you can work on this in your row if you want, but I've got one more I've got to give you, and that is one across. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, showed that his words were often... Prophetical, prophetical, there you go. And if you're like me and you're challenged with spelling, I'm going to give it to you. It's prophetical because if you mess it up, you might get the crossword puzzle all wrong. So it's P-R-O-P-H-E-T-I-C-A-L, prophetical. And I hope I spelled that right because I made up the crossword puzzle. So (laughs) I don't want to get us all into trouble today. So those are three, profound, personal, and prophetical. So I'm giving you those because we're going to actually cover those this morning. Now, if we go back up to the top, down, the use of a short sentence in a memorable way was just one way his teachings were so 
Anyone know nine words, or nine letters, starts with P, from last week. Practical, there you go, practical. The use of a short sentence in a memorable way that was just one way his teachings were so practical. Two down, we already covered, that's profound. Three down, when we talk about his teachings, we are making reference to whom? Five letters. Jesus. Very good. Jesus. We're talking about Jesus and his teachings. Down uh, for the first point of our message, because his teachings were so... This was the very thing, first thing we covered last week. Starts with P. We said his teachings were powerful. There you go. Powerful. Five down. Does it prove, does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own blank? Soul. Very good. Five down is soul. Six we already covered. That's personal. Seven down in the book of Revelation showing up in the letters to the seven churches. If a man hath blank to hear, let him hear. Ears, very good, ears, so E-A-R-S. And then eight down, at least 200 of them. His passion comes out clearly in his use of, oh, close, uh, that would that we I think we mentioned parables, but in his youth there are over two hundred of them in the gospels. His use of questions. There we go. Kristen is right on it. Use of questions. All right, nine an aphorism. No man can serve two masters. Very good, masters. So so nine down is masters. 10, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. Four letters, very good. All right, all the down is accomplished. Across, we gave you the first one, prophetical. Number six, across, always knowing exactly what words to say. Wouldn't you love to be that person that always knows the best thing to say? Jesus always knew what to say. Always knowing exactly what words to say because his words were perfect. There you go, perfect. Eleven across, his passion comes out clearly in his use of questions, lending to the fact that his teachings were, begins with P, ten letters, passionate, very good, passionate, P-A-S-S-I-O-N-A-T-E, his words were passionate. 12, title of this message in two words. His teachings, very good, his teachings. 13, a religious leader that came to Jesus by night. John chapter 3, I saw somebody mouth it, Nicodemus. Very good. 14, I have blank water so that you will never thirst again. Living, I have living water. It's rough when another word actually fits the number of letters, but that is living. 15, John seven forty six. never a man spoke like this man. Very good, this man. Having compassion, Jesus is seen as being blank with compassion. Moved, very good. Moved with compassion. 17, phrases... 
that convey basic concepts in a manner short and easily memorable is the definition of an aphorism. Very good. And I know that's a tough one to spell. A-P-H-A-R-I-S-M, or O-R-I-S-M. I even have it on my paper, and, uh, and you can get it wrong. And then bonus, number 18. We are presently doing 11 of these evangelistic events in two words. Nerf Wars, there you go, Nerf Wars. I have the answer key up here if you happen to miss one, but Nerf Wars. And if you look at the back of our notes, I did put an itinerary on there. I included that as a prayer list, a prayer uh, list for us. Uh, you will notice on there, or you'll notice First Baptist Elba AM service, February 19th. Thank you for praying for that. And then you'll see also 10 other Nerf Wars on here. Uh, Elba is in there as well, included on March 5th. Be praying for that. Uh, so appreciate David and Rachel. We spent time on the phone this week uh, working through some of that, but please be praying for that event. Uh, we are very hopeful that uh, our kids will bring unsaved friends, that they will come because we'll be sharing the gospel and very interested in, in uh, giving out the gospel at that event. So, David, anything you want to say about that, or are we all set, uh, all good for that? I think I... Oh, so yes, yes. If you, if you don't mind being... And uh, you would like, because leaders always get shot, if you would like to come to that, we definitely would like help. David and Rachel would enjoy help. And I, I know when you have to pick up about a, a thousand of those darts, we definitely would like help. And uh, so you talk with David and Rachel, we'd be glad to have you come. It's actually a lot of fun. Uh, I spend a lot of my time on jamming guns uh, for the older group, but uh, it will have probably a thousand Nerf balls all over the place, so um, would love to have you join us. You'll notice some other things on the on raising uh, kids and working in youth groups, so um, be praying for that time. And uh, you'll notice some other things on there. A number of times that we're already scheduled to speak in various churches, some without pastors, and um, always take that very seriously that God would really prepare my heart and help me to bring what each church needs as we uh, will be speaking numerous times this first half of the year. So appreciate your prayer. So that itinerary is something that if you wouldn't mind praying for us, we'd appreciate that. Well, as we take a look, let's uh, jump in today's message. Uh, we will look and spend a little bit of time in John chapter 3 being a topical message. We'll be looking at numerous uh, passages, uh, John chapter 3. If you take your notes, there's a several things on there that I mentioned that uh, when we take a look at his teachings, his amazing teachings, both the words and the works of Jesus point to the fact that Jesus was the greatest teacher of all times, but not only was he the greatest teacher, but that he is deity. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. Uh, Dwight Pentecost writes this, that all that Christ did and said is grounded in his being as the eternal Son of God and the Savior of the world. Uh, and I mentioned this last week. I run into people who often will say, well, I know that Jesus was a great teacher. I mean, we we you know love his teachings and but they don't necessarily recognize that Jesus was the Son of God. And I, and I have to step back from that a little bit and say, you say he's a good teacher, but if you don't believe he's the Son of God, then he's actually got to be a lunatic. 
because he actually claimed to be God. He claimed equality with God. He said that God sent him and that he was from God. And so if you, you say he's a great teacher, but if you really listen to his words, he claimed to be God. So if you don't believe he's God, then you must think he's an imposter. So how can he be a great teacher? It doesn't add up. I believe he was the greatest teacher of all time, and his words were absolutely amazing. I, I have studied his words for hours and hours and have uh, written messages on some of his discourses, and it's absolutely amazing what he taught, especially when you recognize that he is deity, he's God himself. Uh, each writer of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all portray him. They, they give a particular portrait of Christ. And uh, for example, Luke writes that you may have the assurance uh, concerning the truth surrounding Jesus and to convince us of all those truths. John in his gospel helps us to understand that Jesus was alive and with God from the very beginning and that he existed long before he was born in Bethlehem. John chapter 1 is one of my favorite passages. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John makes it very clear that this is an amazing God. Jesus is an amazing person. And, uh, and so if you remember some of the things that we talked about last week, we said that his teachings were powerful. And we started out in John chapter 3, where a man came to Nicodemus one night, and he begins asking Jesus all kinds of questions. In John 7.46, we, we talked about the uh, when the religious leaders went to take Jesus captive and they came back without him and, and those that sent them to get Jesus, they said, well, where is he? And they said, well, never a man spoke like this man. I mean, you can't imagine. His words are just amazing. Uh, and there was so much to learn if a person really wanted to hear and understand what was being said. Revelation 2 and 3, the letters of the seven churches, repeat this over and over again. If a man hath ears to hear, let him hear. His teachings, they were powerful. That's one of the reasons why we really need to pay attention to them. They weren't only powerful, they were perfect, absolutely perfect. Uh, when, when Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, he said that because... They wanted to know, do we pay our taxes? I mean, doesn't that make us subservient to the government? And uh, in, in many cases, if, if somebody had come up to us and asked us some of these tough questions, like the question that the lawyer asked him, we would be trapped. We would be like, I'm not really sure how to answer this. I mean, I run into that all the time. People, sometimes I'm in kids' clubs, and the kids will ask me a question, and I have to really stop and think, how am I going to answer that? In fact, if you can be a teacher of kids, you can teach just about anybody. They're so fun. But Jesus' words, they were always perfect. He always knew what to say. Uh, I like the time when he turned to Philip. Because Philip said to him, you know, if I could just see God, it, it would help my faith. It would help me to understand. And I remember praying that, uh, David, I can remember as a teen, night after night, I was, I was really beginning to love God with all my heart. And I remember praying as a teen, you know, and asking Jesus, you know, and asking God, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just see God, I would really believe. Oh, I'm so thankful God never answered that because I would have been consumed. If God had, had appeared to Rod Whitney, 
I would have been consumed. I could never stand in his presence and actually see God and live through that. Not in this body. I would have to have a glorified body to live through that. So even though as a teen I prayed that, I'm glad God didn't answer that prayer. So Philip one day says, well, if we could just see God. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you such a long time, and yet you still don't know me? Because basically, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. That's what Jesus was saying. His words were so perfect. They were powerful. They were perfect. And I know this is review, but they were also passionate. Uh, He was moved with compassion, it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. I believe that was the occasion where Jesus was looking out over Jerusalem, and his heart was so moved with compassion because he saw the Jewish people as a people without a shepherd. They, They just needed a guide. They needed a leader. And Jesus would be that leader, that guide, that one that they could follow. And it says he was moved with compassion and then there was a time when he spoke of living water. If you, 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 know, you come for this water, but I have living water to give you. And uh, his passion, it, it comes out so clearly in his use of questions. His words, they were powerful. They were perfect. They were passionate. And they were practical. They were always the right thing to say. Uh, I've been in many circles and many Bible studies and, and conferences and A lot of times questions come up, and sometimes you just don't know how to answer the question. Uh, I really work at that. I I really try to come to the place where I just have the right thing to say. Uh, And it's a work in progress. It's it's not easy. My wife and I grew up in a small church out in Conklin, New York. And uh, we were very active in our church. In fact, we were high school sweethearts, but... But even as young people like David and Rachel's age, I don't mean to pick on you, but you guys are, you're just kids. You were so young. Uh, that was like 100 years ago for me. <laughs> and, uh, but I, we, went to, we were very active in our church. We went to every business meeting. And sometimes our business meetings, I'm sure this has never happened to you because you guys are all so perfect. And uh, right, Andy, that's what you told me. <laughs> but we went to business meetings as we were young. And the, we were very close to the pastor. The pastor's daughter was our age. We were there, her age. We were all very good friends. And some of the business meetings got so heated. I mean, just over some of the... It was never over anything huge or big or like a big concern. It was always... I remember them. In fact, if Jamie came up here, she would tell you that one time it was over a discussion over the size of the offering envelopes got into a heated discussion. And we were young, so I mean, we kind of looked at each other like, should we leave? You know, these are adults fighting over, you know, I can say this today because that was like 100 years ago. But, and you know, you know how it is. We as believers, we get caught up in some of the most mundane things. And it was a big issue because it took you know, the counters, uh, so much time to unfold the money because the envelopes were so small, and so they wanted them bigger, and some people didn't want them bigger because that would be more expensive. I, I, I don't know. I don't remember all the discussion, but it led to an argument. And we're sitting there as teenagers thinking, for real, and, and by the way, I'm going to say this, teenagers sometimes are more practical than we adults. They really are. 
They don't get caught up in all of that. Now, I guess they have their own things, but that's another message. But we, as teenagers, we looked at each other like, for real? I don't care what size the envelopes are. Just make a decision and move on. And another time it was over the color of the, that they were going to paint the fellowship hall or something. <laughs> and we're, as teens, we're looking at each other like, you know, people are going to hell. But, and we're concerned about this, you know, size of the offering envelope, whatever. Jesus' words were so practical. He never wasted words. He always said what was right. There was one man, I, the reason why I said all of that, I almost forgot why I went down that trail. There was one man in our church uh, was just one of these amazing people that knew how to say the right thing, be a peacemaker, and get everybody back on track. There was, um, before I mention him, I should say there was another gentleman who was so gruff. Everything he said always came out uh, rough, <laughs> just rough. And now, you have to understand, I, this, he was a wonderful man. My wife and I were friends with him. He was really, he just, I, I don't want to make it sound like he was an old ogre, because he wasn't. He was a really genuinely hearted, wonderful man. He just didn't know how to word things. But he was really a good man. I, I liked him. And uh, he got up in one business meeting. When he got done, everybody was so riled up. He just didn't say it right, what, what he wanted to say. This other gentleman got up, and he said, Can I just, I think I know what Malin was trying to say. And then he rephrased it like, like an angel. It was like, it came out so nice. He said, I think that's what he's trying to say. And, and poor Malin, he's like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And, and this other gentleman just said it so perfectly. And, and everybody would just kind of took a deep breath and it didn't even get into an argument. I have to work at that. Because I want to be that man, that one who can just put everybody at ease and just say things the right way. Now, by the way, that takes the Spirit of God, and we've got to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God because we too can say things that are practical. And I think that about Christ and his use of aphorisms. And like when he said, does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Or when he used the aphorism of turning the other cheek? Jesus had a way of, of saying things in such a way that you, you had to sit there and say, you know what, that's good. That, that's really good. I, I want to be like that. I want to be able to keep my focus. His words, they were powerful, they were perfect, they were passionate, and they were practical. He always said things in the right way. There's a fifth one, and this opens up into some new information today, but the fifth one, his teachings were often prophetical. They were often prophetical. In a teachable moment, he revealed something that the disciples did not get in, until he rose again. Uh, he, he often said things that was actually pointing to something that was going to happen in the future, and um, in fact, one time, I guess I should mention, he was with the, the disciples, and I think it was that time, I've got to think back, 
but I think it was a time when they were kind of boasting about the temple. They were walking about and they were kind of pointing, the disciples were pointing Jesus' attention toward the temple. Isn't this amazing? Because the temple was a big deal where they worshiped God. And, you know, when you looked at it, you just, you could almost worship the building. It was just this amazing temple. Do you know what Jesus said as they were walking by? He kind of put them in their place just a little bit because he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the disciples were really confused. It's like, what is he talking about? And destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up. Well, we know what he was talking about. He was talking about the temple, his body, that, that you crucify, that these men will crucify me, but in three days I will raise it up. And uh, in fact, he said, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Jesus spoke those words when he was about to wash Peter's feet, and Peter was giving him a hard time about that. You remember the time when Jesus took up a towel and their feet were dirty and from traveling, that was their their culture and the time. And uh, probably any one of the disciples could have done it, should have done it, but Jesus did it. He took up a towel And Peter didn't really, he didn't want Jesus to do that. So no, you're not going to do that. And and, uh, Jesus kind of really put him in his place. But he also said, what I'm doing right now, you you don't understand, but afterwards you will. And I'm sure that was true about destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. As after he died and was buried and rose again, they remembered that he had said that he would rise again in three days. One day... Jesus, I, I've studied this, this part in, in John chapter 14 and, and that vicinity. Uh, when Jesus really laid three things on him that had to be absolutely, horrendously upsetting. I, I kind of say he dropped a bomb on them and there were three things that he told them in a very short period of time that had to be terribly upsetting. He said, one of you are going to deny me. You're just going to deny me. Uh, I don't remember if you remember the conversation with Peter, and Peter said, I will follow you to the death. And Jesus said, uh, not exactly. You're going to deny me three times. Well, before he, at one point, he said, one of you are going to deny me before he told them that it was Peter. And they all kind of thought, well, you know, who's, who's going to do that? Is it me? And then he also said to them that, in a very short vicinity of time, that one of you are going to betray me, that literally um, betray me. And and he was, of course, speaking of who? Of of Judas and his kiss. That was how Judas was going to identify to the soldiers that that this is the one you need to take. And um, that had to be terribly upsetting. These are men that left their occupation to follow Jesus. And he says, one of you are going to deny me Worse than that, one of you are going to betray me. And then he said something, I, 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 it's kind of, it came in threes. He said, I'm going to be going someplace and you are not going to be able to follow me. Now these are men who left their, they left everything to follow Jesus. They believed that, that he was amazing and they, it was worth following and he said, but I'm going to go someplace and you're not going to be able to follow me. You're not going to be able to come where I'm going. And the disciples had to be terribly, terribly upset. Um, in fact, look, at, look with me in, in John chapter 14. I want you to see this. 
uh, how upsetting this had to be, that Jesus is telling them things that, I mean, a lot of the things that Jesus taught were hard to understand and were hard to receive at first. Jesus, even some of the parables that the disciples, it troubled them. Some of the things were so upsetting. But often in the parables, Jesus then, uh, after they ask, well, what does that parable mean? Oftentimes when you're studying the parables, Jesus does explain the parable after, at least to the disciples. But in this particular time, he's told them three things terribly upsetting. What do you mean I'm, you're going someplace we can't follow? We follow you everywhere. And that's what leads us to John chapter 14, which is just a beautiful, beautiful passage. You talk about powerful and perfect and passionate and practical. It's like all of this wrapped in one and prophetic. He says, listen, let not your heart be troubled. And he gives him the reason why he could say that. You believe in God, believe also in me. He just told him those three very upsetting things. And he says, don't be troubled. I've used this in funerals. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, where Jesus was going, they couldn't come right then. But he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when you think about it, that is so comforting. That's one of the reasons why I use that at funerals is, is even though, even at moments of death, we can trust that God has everything under control and he knows exactly what he's doing. And we don't have to worry we, we believe in God, and Jesus is basically saying, believe in me like you believe in God. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And whether I go, you know, in the way you know, and someone always has to, to ask the question, speak up, like, what are you talking about? That's exactly what Thomas does in verse 5. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? They, they really didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And this was prophetic. And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, if you had known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth, ye know him and have seen him. And that's when Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the father. In this. Just show us God and we would be happy. And Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you? And yet thou hast not known me, Philip. He that have seen me has seen the father. And how sayest thou then, show us the father? Amazing, amazing passage. But it was prophetic. Jesus says, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And I don't believe, we, we can't even begin to really understand what heaven is like. I think he's preparing a place that is just going to be absolutely gorgeous, amazing. Amazing that place will be. For one thing, Jesus is going to be there, and that's going to make it absolutely amazing. I'm right now writing messages on Revelation chapter 21 and 22. I'm trying to finish up a series in Marilla where I've been filling uh, in somewhat for them. And um, 
And so I've been writing some messages, and, and one of the most amazing things that I'm seeing in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is one of the things that's going to make heaven so amazing, not only the fact that Jesus is there, but the things that are not going to be there is absolutely going to make heaven absolutely amazing. I'm not done with those messages yet, but there's at least 10 things that are not going to be there in heaven that's going to make it so incredible. Like no more pain, no more tears, no more death. I don't think I can remember them all by heart, but no more sorrow, no no more anything that's just uh, like the sorrow that we go through here on earth. Nothing like that. It's, it's some of what's not going to be there that's going to make it so amazing. Can you, ima- can you ever imagine a place where you would never have pain again? <laughs> Anything sorrowful that would make you cry or that would hurt you? Uh, we, we just can only dream of what heaven really is going to be like. I mean, the Bible gives us some information, actually quite a bit, in Revelation 21 and 22. But I... I guess I come back to the fact that's what's going to make it so amazing, just like the music we sang this morning about Jesus, is the fact that Jesus is going to be there. His words were often prophetical. Um, And I think that if you look at your notes, um, I said there in letter C, no wonder Jesus said, John 14, 1 through 6, let not your heart be troubled. And um, to Nicodemus, he said something also prophetical. In fact, if you go back to John chapter 3, we've spent a fair amount of time in John chapter 3 talking about Nicodemus and the things in that chapter. But I like in that chapter, he's already told Nicodemus three times, Nicodemus, don't be surprised, I'm saying to you, Marvel not, I said unto thee, you must be born again. Yes, you Nicodemus, a teacher of the Jews, we talked about that last week. Don't be surprised I'm saying to you that you will never enter God's heaven if you aren't born again. Nicodemus was so perplexed about that. He said, how can a man enter his mother's womb a second time and be born again? Now here's here's this adult, this religious leader, a member of the Sanhedrin, asking Jesus what to me seems like a really silly question. What do you mean? Being born again has nothing to do about the first time you were born. It's talking about spiritual birth. But Nicodemus was confused. And then Jesus says something very prophetical to Nicodemus. He says, well, in verse 12 and 13, he said, If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And then he says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He was letting Nicodemus know exactly how he was going to die. He's going to be put upon a cross and lifted up. And that if you would just simply believe in Jesus, you would be born a second time, born spiritually. And he's going back to the time where Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You know that story, how they were, let me see, bitten with, was it snakes? Uh, or they, I'm trying to think. And, and Moses had to put this brazen serpent on a pole and lift it up, and he had to walk all around the people. All they had to do to be healed was what? To look up. That's all they had to do. Now, they had to put confidence that looking up, that that action would save them. 
It was looking up. Now, if I laid there with, you know, in pain and suffering and decided, well, I don't believe that's going to save me, and I refused to look up, I wasn't going to be healed. But if they would just simply believe, and that's the key, to simply believe, if I would look up that that act would heal me, I would be saved. And Jesus is saying that's how it is with the cross. Now, I can try to get to heaven my own way. In fact, I think that's what Nicodemus was trying to do. I could try to get to heaven my own way, but one, of the, one thing I've got to really understand is that heaven belongs to God, and he makes the rules. I can try to get to heaven some other way. It's never going to work. I can't be good enough. I can't. You know, some people will say, well, I, th- I think I've been pretty good most of my life, so I think I'm going to heaven. We sometimes just don't understand that it has nothing to do with what we do. Uh, it is what we believe. And just like when Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, if I would just simply believe by looking up, and that's what we have to do is look to Jesus on the cross. It's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for my sin. Jesus, and I think Andy said this last week from the quiet time, that Jesus didn't have to save himself. He left himself on the cross. He could have, he could have had one angel come down and save him. He could have saved himself. He could have called out to God and said, you know, get me out of this, you know, at any second. He stayed on the cross because it was for us. We're the ones that needed him to stay on that cross and die for us. And so he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. His words were prophetical. They not only were powerful and perfect and passionate and practical, they were prophetical, and I've got two more. His teachings were profound. His teachings were absolutely profound. They were uh, absolutely amazing. And uh, one of the things that I've discovered in that is uh, studying the, some of the discourses, the discourse such as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I've spent hours and hours writing messages on those words, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Uh, absolutely profound. Volumes have been written in fact, I could take you to a couple of verses at the end of John's gospel. They're amazing verses. They're some of my favorite. In John chapter 20, and I'll just tell you about it, in verse 30, it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And So what John is saying is when he gets to the end of his gospel, John's portrait of the life of Christ was basically to portray trade Jesus as deity. He is God the Father. John does a really good job of that. And uh, at the end of, of chapter 20, he says there were a lot of other things that Jesus did, which are not written in this book. I've told you the things that are. There's a lot more that's not. And then he goes on to say something that's absolutely powerful. It is profound. He says, but these, these words that God told John to write are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. John, If John were here today and could say something to us, 
I think he would say, listen, there's a lot of other things that I could have written, but God gave me to write the things that would point out that he is the son of God because I want you to have life through his name. Powerful, profound. And um, in fact, the last couple of verses in the very last chapter of John, there's one more chapter. And in John chapter 21, he writes this. It's really powerful. He says, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things which Jesus did. This, This blows my mind. The which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. I walk around in my library. I, I have a fairly big office. It's in our basement. Our basement, we've, we've you know, put our office in it because it's big. And I have a lot of books. I don't even, I, I must have 3,000 books, maybe more than that. Last time I counted, it was almost 3,000, and that was like 10 years ago. I have a lot of books. I love to read. Uh, and every book has just so much uh, wealth of information, a lot of commentaries. What John is saying is, do you understand, if everything had been written that could be written about the life of Jesus, life was so profound, the world would not be a big enough library to hold the books. <laughs> it just That just blows my mind. Sometimes my grandkids see all my books. They're like, have you read all these? Of course. Several. No, no, I haven't. I've read a lot of them. And if you pull books off my shelf, one of the things I do is I underline things that really jump out. So I have a lot of stuff underlined. But there's, I could pull a fair number of books off that I haven't read yet. I, they're on my list to do, you know. I can't imagine everything that could be written the, the world couldn't hold all the books. That, that's amazing. That's how profound. I mean, I, I've written messages on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, I have like, I don't know, six or seven messages to get through it. But there are volumes written on it. I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you. I, if I put all my books that are on the Sermon on the Mount on one shelf, it's a lot of books. I mean, volumes just on that one message. He's so profound. Why do I share all this? It'll take a lifetime to really understand everything that Jesus said. It's so amazing. And, and I, I, I want to be committed to that, to really know what Jesus said. He spoke in parables. Um, the parables are so powerful. Uh, all of these things that he said, there's so much truth behind them as you study them out, like the the four different kinds of seeds and the four hearts that they represent. And and we could go on and on. In fact, the whole world is a classroom. And in fact, if you read John 4.35, it says, lift up your eyes and look upon the fields for they are white already to harvest. Uh, So profound, all of the things that he said. I, if nothing else, I hope from this message that you and I would just have this heart that wants to know him better, that, that wants to study everything he said and, and really know him. Um, his words, they were powerful and perfect and practical and passionate and often prophetical and um, profound, certainly. And then the final one that it starts with P, um, 
it doesn't wrap up everything, but it kind of it brings it all back home. The seventh letter word that starts with P is that his words were personal. They were personal. Jesus was always interested in each person. I guess, Andy, the one thing I really like about the Gospel of John, I, out of all the Gospels, the Gospel of John just really stands out to me as being so amazing. It's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I think the one reason why I just love the Gospel of John is it's so personal. It was always conversations with individuals. Um, you know, we, we like getting up in a, before a crowd of a thousand people and preaching, and, you know, there's something really uh, fun about that. But you know what? It's not the conversations with the crowd that often amaze me. It's the conversations with a person, with the woman at the well, um, the woman taken in adultery, uh, the man born blind. And I love the story in John chapter 9, man born blind. You remember the story when, when, you know, Jesus gave him sight and, of course, the religious leaders wanted to know how did who did this, you know, who did this? And remember, one of the things the man says, he says, "Listen, I'm the one that's blind, but you're the one asking all the questions." You know, it's like kind of putting them in their place because they wanted to know who who healed you, you know, on this day. And um, but going through the Gospel of John, like I say, it's the woman at a well, the woman taken adultery. You remember when they hauled the woman before? the crowd, and they said, this woman was taking adultery. You know, like, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? And we would have been cornered. We would have been, well, what am I going to say? Because whatever I say is going to either get her in trouble or get me in trouble. And Jesus said, listen, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. It, it was perfect. But I also think it was personal. Um, the man born blind, the centurion's son, um, the conversations with Peter, I just love those conversations. Even the conversation with Nicodemus, um, who came to him at night. Uh, we started out with him, and I guess in a sense we'll kind of wrap it up with him. I think Jesus really cared about Nicodemus. Uh, yeah, a member of the Sanhedrin. And, and by the way, some of the most harshest words that Jesus ever used were with the religious leaders. Um, but, but don't miss this. The words that Jesus had to say, were, were, they were always, almost in every situation, putting worship, both to this week and last week. Um, I don't see Jesus coming down hard on us either. It seems like his words were so tender. He really cared about people. I mean, even the woman taken in adultery, you know, Jesus could have like really lowered the hammer and, you know, dealt harshly with her. He didn't. And when there's sin in our lives, he's so tender with us. He's so compassionate, so forgiving, isn't he? Um, I mean, I think the way I really should be treated probably should be harshly sometimes. The only, and, and catch this, the only ones he was harsh with were the proud, uh, toting, you know, the religious leaders who just wanted to trap him by what he said. And, and he, yes, he was rough with them. Just look at Matthew, uh, is, I don't know, chapter 24, where he says, woe unto, you know, you're like whited sepulchers. And you know, he, he had a whole list of woe unto them, meaning danger. You are on dangerous ground. 
that was the religious leaders. That was the ones who were so proud. Listen, if, if your heart's in the right place, Jesus is the right one to talk to. Uh, he's so kind and he's so good to us and so personal. His words, we need to wrap it up. We've got to quit. But uh, they were powerful. They were perfect. They were passionate. They were practical, often prophetical. He said things that they didn't really understand till later. Uh, but if you really listen, um, those, those prophecies are very important. They were profound. And as we wrap it up, they were personal. I got to tell you, uh, I, I hope, I don't know how many more years God will give me, but I want to spend the rest of my life just really knowing him better and studying the things that he had to say and the things that he had to teach. Uh, we need to really give our life to him in, in obedience. Uh, it is the best, the smartest thing you'll ever do is to be obedient to Jesus and to listen to his words and realize that they're for you and they're for me. They're personal. And um, let's pray. Father, we love you. You're so good to us. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for the words that were so perfect, they were so right, so practical. Father, he was so moved with compassion because he really does care about us. And he's a wonderful, wonderful God. Father God, we love you and we love Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. In your precious name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for letting us be with you. It's always a treat. I love coming to Elba, uh, not just because my grandkids are here in town, but uh, we love you folks. And